On this episode, they had to build a bamboo structure out of, like a window, for example, seventy story high, out of nothing. They they actually told me like there is nothing to be scared about or worried about. Neon and bamboo. This is the Humidity Podcast. Hi there, I'm Tim McDonald. This week, I'll be speaking with Cardin Chan. She's a cultural preservationist from Hong Kong who's doing what she can to keep various Hong Kong traditions alive. One area she focuses on is bamboo theatres. They're usually temporary for the duration of a festival, and in some cases, big enough to accommodate thousands of people. We'll get to those in the back half of the show. First, though, a more recent Hong Kong tradition: neon. Cardin also works with Tetra Neon Exchange, which is trying to save Hong Kong's disappearing neon signs. In fact, I first met her when I did a video for BBC Travel a few years ago about these same signs. They're really distinctive. They look like this amazing mix of film noir with a touch of sci-fi, and maybe that's why they're so often cited as a visual influence for the film Blade Runner. And in the 80s and 90s, they were just about everywhere. Most have now disappeared. The government has been uneasy with them for some time, particularly the ones that hang over the streets. They worry that, say, during a typhoon, they might come down on someone's head. Tetra Neon Exchange is trying to grab whatever signs it can so that it can preserve them. I started by asking Cardin about what you're listening to right now—a recent effort to take down one of those signs to keep it from ending up in a landfill somewhere. We actually tried to remove the sign intact, like as a whole piece,、uh, when it was still lit. <laughs> Are still lit? Yes. How did how did that work? It was very difficult. I mean, <laughs>、uh, I we we basically had to work with different teams on this,、um, like with lots of strengthening work because once the wires and and like the the supporting frames、uh, were cut,、um, uh, we had to actually stop the gigantic like I don't know almost nine meters high. Uh, neon sign from spinning uncontrollably. I don't know. I'm not a technical person, so we worked with different teams, and 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 all the teams basically had never done something like this before. So all of us were very anxious, but at the same time, very very excited about this.、Uh, it's this Choiwa、uh, Tatanteng sign.、Uh, it is one of the last, if not the last. A neon sign in that scale、uh, that still exists in the city. The acquisition actually started like three months ago,、um, and then we worked very closely and directly with the Choiwa Group, and they have been very supportive、uh, every step of the way.、Uh, it was something that they never did before either, and then we we basically. Managed to get three, all three of the signs、um, of that branch、uh, mm. from Chaiwa. From memory, that's a, that's a noodle shop, right?、Uh, is it? Is, no, it's a local eatery shop. Local eatery. Yes,、yeah. yes, but it's they are a listed company now these days. Yeah, and I remember you showed me that sign. It's a it's a very big one. It's a very big one. It's like almost ninety meters high, and then five, almost five meters wide. The largest one actually、um, 
was erected uh, in the 90s. So it was like one of the landmarks, the local landmarks where people would meet up under. And you, you said that the sign had to remain lit while you moved it. Yeah. Why did it have to remain lit? Why couldn't you just turn it off? Because we tried to actually, we tried to do something very different. Uh, we could have easily uh, have it removed like the traditional way. We just thought we wanted to show people through actions, like how much we genuinely care about this um, removal and then the sign as well. And um, we don't, we didn't actually want the removal or the sign to go unnoticed. So you're saying it was a, a deliberate choice that you loaded it onto the back of the truck while it was still lit, so it would go through the neighbourhood and everybody would see it, and you know maybe think about, uh, I, I guess, how their neighbourhood is changing. Uh, yes, I mean, um, and especially with the people that we worked with, um, like the neon, the local neon masters. Um, they were, they actually, I, I interviewed them or I talked to them. I said, like, do you think after all these like series of meetings and, and experiments and you, you, you basically see what we were trying to achieve, like, do you actually feel because of how much we care about the neon signs or the neon culture, like, do you feel more proud of like what you do? And they actually said like, yes, because to us before when a sign is not in use anymore, like people just would destroy it completely. And then just, they would just land up on landfill. And also like, because we needed to work with like communities in the area, like the minibus association, because the sign was actually located right above a minibus stop. Usually this is considered like a mission impossible because they would not budge. I mean, the minibus association is like, I, we, we wanted them to move um, the stop like for one night because we, because of the, the, the road closure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the beginning we had some, resistance because I think we didn't actually convey what we tried to do very clearly with them but once they actually understood what like the conservation work that we tried to to do and then they were really supportive right and where did you take the sign oh I we had to actually send it to uh, one of the the storage I don't know place that our sponsor actually gave us because we need like a large piece of land for that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and is there a plan to do something with it later? Is it going to, you know, go into a museum or something, or do you not know yet? I think like one of our midterm plan originally, at least before the third wave of the pandemic actually hit us, uh-huh. um, we actually wanted to resemble or. Um, reconstruct um, or recreate the old Hong Kong streetscapes that used to be full of like neon sign. We wanted to recreate that landscape like as a kind of like outdoor exhibition. I mean, with the signs that we would be able to collect or salvage, um, we wanted to actually um, employ or involve a local neon industry, I mean, people from a local neon industry to actually restore um, the signs that we will be able to collect and then we recreate the scene with it and then to put an exhibition together um, to get w- together with like some documentation that we will have made like along the way. 
so that people could actually once again experience like what Hong Kong streetscapes used to be like. Um, when I was there a few years ago, we we walked around in uh, you know, sort of near the Jordan um, area, yeah. um, and you showed me a number of signs, and you were concerned that a lot of them would be lost. Uh, yes. What's the state of things at the moment? I mean, how many of those have remained, and how many of those have been uh, removed? Well, if I remember correctly, um, the area in Jordan that we covered during that interview, they were all gone. <laughs> all Very sadly. Have since in Jordan, yes. Okay, uh, and there was one that was uh, uh, a big. Uh, there was a bridal shop that was next to a big. I think it was a mahjong parlor. Uh, the bridal shop is in Yaomate and is still there, but I think is at risk. These days, I think the disappearance of neon signs um, uh, are not only caused by uh, the strictened like. Uh, government policy, but also because of like uh, a, a combination of reasons as well, and also the pandemic actually doesn't help because um, quite a lot of um, businesses actually closed down, especially right. the ones that have been struggling for some time, mm-hmm. and this is like um, like a, a death call to a lot of them. Right. So if the business shuts down, then the the sign tends to go with it. Yes, I'm afraid yeah. so. Do these business owners see the heritage value in it? Do they see a sign and look at it with a certain sense of nostalgia? Or do they just kind of see this thing that's hanging out the front of their business that they have to remove and is a bit of a pest? It's a mixture of everything, you know. Uh-huh. But most of them actually, especially the traditional businesses, they really care about um, the signs because they believe like the signs actually carry the soul of the businesses. I I think in the past, like I think it would cause such an offense like to them. If for example, like people like us or someone that would suggest like, could I actually help you remove your sign? I mean, still these days it happened to me before. Like, so I had to be very careful with my wording and, and how I approach them. When I tried to approach like a restaurant um, and I said like, Oh, so are your are your signs safe? And then they were very alert immediately. They were they were a bit like, so what do you want? Like, what what's your intention? You know, like, right. are you saying? Are you predicting like my business? I would actually go out of business soon, like that kind of stuff. And then, yeah. so I, that's that's our culture, you know. Like, if the sign goes, the business goes. But then these days, of course. Um, um, many more people are a bit more open to um, conservation work, but still it needs education. Coming up. They were like, even though we are the youngest um, in the industry, we reckon ourselves as the last What does the future hold for bamboo theatres? Most visitors to Hong Kong can't help but notice the bamboo scaffolding everywhere, covering the outside of building sites up to 60 storeys tall in some cases. 
Many people in Hong Kong can be a little blasé about it. You don't really have a sense of wonder about things you see every day. But there are not many places where bamboo is used for scaffolding. And if it seems like a very practical application for bamboo, there's actually a close connection with another tradition, building bamboo theatres. I'll let Carden explain. Uh, bamboo scaffolding actually originated from the building of bamboo theatres. Everything actually originated from from that. So if you could actually build bamboo theatres, you could build anything. Um, I think bamboo theatres building actually has been taking place in Hong Kong or southern China since I don't know late Qing dynasty. So it has been around for over a hundred years. Um, but then sadly, as far as I know, uh, uh, it is banned in China. And then, so this is something that um, it is still seen in Hong Kong or places like Macau. But then, even though we are very close to each other, um, um, the ways that we build theatres, bamboo theatres, are still very different. Right. So um, definitely uh, Hong Kong bamboo theatre or bamboo scaffolding um, is very, very Hong Kong, you know, in many ways. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And could you describe um, one of these bamboo theatres for us? What does it look like and and how big is it? Wow. It really varies. But as far as I know, um, there are two main types. Uh, one is called um, uh, the big bell or the giant, uh, the giant golden bell. Uh, this is usually used for uh, Taiping Qingjiu Festival, uh, used probably in the new territories. I mean, in a lot of uh, ward villages. Um, I mean, these festivals reoccur once, probably five years or ten years Um, and then they mean so much to these villages so they are willing to um, uh, spend a lot of money like for example like on the bamboo theater a few of these bamboo theaters used for this kind of festival uh, maybe ten years ago uh, some of them could accommodate to at least four thousand people also very big so it's like gigantic yeah. So the way you're describing it, I'm assuming this is a temporary structure. This is not something that, that sits in the village for years and years. Yeah, it, it usually just serves like uh, as, as a temporary opera theatre right. uh, for only like a few days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it and, is truly amazing. Right. And do you know how long it takes to put one up and then take it down again? Well, I actually follow... Um, uh, one company um, to a very remote island called Potoy Island to see from scratch how they actually built a a, a bamboo theater for Tinhao um, Festival, and I was there for seven days, and then it took a bit longer than that to finish the whole thing. Right from uh, scratch, and and then when it's finished, they. Uh, have performances of of opera inside? Supposedly, but because of the pandemic, they had to cancel the opera at the last moment. Yeah, so it was was such a shame, but it was understandable. And does that mean that the the theatre is still there, that they haven't 
taken it down as they no, usually... they had to take it down probably one or two weeks after the festival was supposed to take place. Right, so that must have been quite quite disappointing for them. It was. It was a very disappointing um, outcome for the villagers because I mean, I was I was really stunned and I was touched um, to see how such a um, a remote island and a small group of islanders they. They stay really committed year after year, like not only like in terms of raising funds, but like how much they hold this festival to them very dearly to their heart. <laughs> so right. I was I was actually really touched by that as well. It's not just the bamboo theater, but also like how how devoted these people are. And is there a younger generation of people who were also involved in it? Well, I I hate to sound like um, hopeless. I I think there is still hope uh, if we all of us actually starts doing something about it. Uh, but then when I actually had this uh, in depth chat with this group of bamboo theaters um, masters, they were like, even though we are the youngest. Um, in the industry, we reckon ourselves as the last. I mean, after spending, having spent like a week with them, I could see why. Um, because it's not a job actually for everyone. It is. It is a very very tough job. Um, you need certain personalities to start with. You need to be not afraid of height, <laughs> and at the same time, you have to be. Uh, robust enough to actually carry like the fur logs and bamboos when they are three story high you need to be they they need to walk like like a tightrope walker basically it it takes time to build a theater and a lot of people young people i was told um they prefer building uh scaffolds for construction sites because it's much quicker and then and also because if it's for a construction site, uh, that means it's funded by like land developers. So they yeah. would have they they would have like a uh, a much better ca- package. Yep. Um, yep. In terms of like monetary um, uh, compensation. So why why do you think it is that um, bamboo as as scaffolding actually you know continues to persist in Hong Kong, um, but not anywhere else? I think because this is really flexible. It is cheaper than aluminium as well, as far as I know. So no matter how big or how small uh, the venue is or what your purpose is, you I mean, these masters could work the magic. Well, it's interesting because um, when when I was over there last time, I, I, I was uh, set up my camera to do a, a time lapse of, you know, actually one of the neon signs, interestingly enough. And sometimes when you set up a camera, some people will just come up and start talking to you. It just sometimes happens. They're interested in what right. you're doing. Sometimes they're just bored. And anyway, so this this guy comes up and he um, worked in the construction industry. And he was um, he was from overseas. I think he was Nepalese from memory. And he was actually a scaffolder. But um, he actually said that he refused to work on, on bamboo because uh, he thought it was... Just unsafe, um, right? Are there kind of safety concerns that people raise about um, bamboo in Hong Kong? Is it one of those things that people in the industry are looking to phase out, or is it something that's, you know, it's kind of the industry standard? It works for them, and they're 
you know, it's it's likely they'll, that they'll just keep using it. That's quite a good question because as I was told, like, why it why like bamboo um, scaffolding is kind of like banned in China because um, they want to actually use the standardized aluminium structures that are widely recognized as safe. Right. Um, but then based on what I see or what I saw when I was on the island with the masters, I mean, every single calculation like to the T was actually in the, in the mind. Once I started bonding with these masters, they showed me pictures because for the last three months each year, they would have no or they would be a bit less busy with bamboo theatre building. So they need to actually sometimes had to work on construction sites. And then they showed me pictures like they had to build uh, a bamboo structure out of like a window, for example, 70 story high out of nothing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so scary. It looks very scary. They they actually told me, like, there is nothing to be scared about or worried about because we, they simply know how to calculate everything. Yeah. And what do you think the future holds for, you know, these theatres in particular? If we go back in five years' time, do you think we'll uh, see theatres? I would like to think so. But then also we can't actually just think of, like, oh, how come this industry is dying out? Um, because I th- if you ask me, it's like they serve as an ecosystem. Like, for example, like bamboo theatres building heavily relies on the existence of um, the ritualistic um, operas. And then right. this kind right. of operas actually heavily relies on the existence of the different traditional festivals, if you see what I mean. And then these festivals heavily relies on um, the commitment and the devotions, uh, the different organizations actually behind these festivals. The determining factor actually is whether we could keep our faith and our tradition alive. Right. I mean, right. if one actually disappears, actually, it's like a chain reaction. Like everything would break down or mm-hmm. fall apart. We can't actually just look at these industries as like individual blocks we have to look at this whole chain um so we need to tell people or we need to educate people like how much these gen uh, this traditions actually means to us if we lose this um even just one single tradition it would start like a chain reaction and everything would not be able to survive eventually many thanks to Cardin chan if you'd like to find out more about tetra neon exchange you can search them on facebook please like subscribe and leave a review if you'd like to sling us some money in these oh so dark times for the doing of the journalisms visit patreon.com slash the humidity Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at the underscore humidity. Search for us on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. We're working on new material, so keep an ear out. Mm